we are going to the book of Philemon, though it may take us a minute or two to get there. So let me, uh, let me preface today, if you're new here or watching online, this is going to probably be a little different than what we normally do. Uh, we love getting in God's Word and we're going to get there, but sometimes... Sometimes we have a little family thing that we need to talk about, and that's kind of what today is. Um, We have been in in this process of trying to think through, you know, the future. As many of you know, prior to COVID, and I had somebody actually ask me last night, well, do you think we'll ever get there again? And I'm thinking, oh, yes, we're going to get there again, right? We've got people here. We were just... We were just dreaming and saying, God, what do you want to do? And one of the things that happens, one of the things that's been interesting actually during the season is we have got a lot of new people that are, that are now attending. And so I thought it might be good for us just to stop and to remind you of what is our mission? What is it that drives us? And of course, the great thing about being a church, I've, I've mentioned this many times, is you don't have to go looking to try to make up a mission statement. Jesus kind of gave us our mission statement, right? And that was to go make disciples of all nations. That's what we are called to do. And so when you ask, okay, what drives us? Number one, it is reaching the community where God has planted us with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is first and foremost. And when you think about you know, in, in our history and all the things that God has done, I mean, this is, uh, um, and a lot of times people forget, I mean, my, my first Sunday here, 25 years ago, there were 55 of us, men, women, children, maybe a stray dog or two, because we did count more evangelistically back then, and, uh, y- y- you know, it just wasn't much, and God put us in a community, and then you look and see what God has done, and we've moved twice in that process, but God has given us a heart to try to reach the community. One of the things most people don't know, within five miles of our church today, there are over 180,000 people. 70% of them, as best we know, have no relationship to a church of whatever. We're not even talking about their eternal salvation. We're just talking about having any, any relationship with the church. What they're projecting is in the next 10 years, this radius around us is going to grow by something like 27%. By 2030, they tell us we'll be at 230,000 people. They desperately need the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what God has called us to do. And so that is at the heart of who we are. In fact, we often talk about us being oikos-driven because the best way we think to reach them is to equip all of us to go and live on mission out there in our daily life. That's how the gospel works. Secondly, we are called to raise up godly generations, disciples of Jesus Christ, all across the spectrum. And so if you've been around here, you know that typically we have a really, really strong children's program from, from nursery up to fifth grade, a middle school, high school. We have, we heard about Robbie's class, lots of adult education. Why? Because we want to teach and train people in God's word. We believe that's what the church is called to do, to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. And this is just a huge piece. And as we are planting churches to raise up the next generation leaders, 
You know, one of the fun things is, you know, we sent out mission churches. We sent out people that we had raised up as we're sending out Salt Church. You know, Stephen, who uh, grew up here in our church, has been an intern, is going to lead their, their worship. JJ grew up in our church, is going to be their youth pastor. I mean, you know, and I could go on down the list. Bella, uh, one of our college students, is going to go. She'd been trained in EE, been an EE intern. She's going to go lead their evangelism work, right? That's what we're called to do. The third thing is we're seeking to build a strong foundation to help us plant churches and reach the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, a lot of times we get caught into discussion, okay, you know, big churches, depending on what you think, good or bad, small churches, depending on what you think, good or bad. I often get asked, you know, what are you trying to do? Well, here's the thing. I've been in both. You know, as long as they're on mission, they're teaching the word, they're all good, Right? Here's the piece that people do sometimes fail to understand. With size comes scope of ministry. So, we're 55 people in Glendale, right? It was a cool church. I think we were preaching the word. I think we were about the gospel. Do you know how many missionaries we supported? Zero. You know why? We are trying to keep the lights on. <laughs> and that, that was at that point. In fact, it, uh, Tammy and I, now this is going to sound super spiritual, and it wasn't, uh, but she and I actually supported three missionaries individually for a whole like $25 a month to each of them, right? Uh, you know, I think at it now, of course it was a different day, $25 hopefully went further back then. Uh, but, but that's what we did. So we came to the leadership of Desert Springs and we said, well, if we give our $25 a month to them through you... And maybe you, we could try to match it here at the church, and that's kind of like a win-win-win. Church got missionaries, the missionaries get a whole $50 a, a month now, right? And, uh, it, and it's a win, and that's how we got our first three missionaries at Desert Springs. And then as all that God has moved us through, do you know that last year, we as a church family were able to give something like $335,000 to the cause of Christ. Yeah, in one year. I mean, it's, a, it's amazing. You know how many churches we planted when we were 55? Yeah. God's been good to us. We've been able to plant two since 2016. We've got the third one ready to go. So... For us, there's this idea, okay, we believe this is where God has planted us. We don't want to move again. But how do we continue to deal with the scope so that we can even do more of what God's put upon our heart? So our elders have been talking about this for a couple years. We engaged a company called uh, Building God's Way. They're out of uh, Ogden, Utah. And we had them, because, you know, we got 10 acres here. And, and we have issues. We, you know, probably our most pressing need is in education, uh, both for children and for adults. Well, no. My wife would tell you our most pressing need is a bigger bathroom. All right? Uh, so that, that's, that's what she would say. Um, also, if you come at 9.30 or 11, you know one of the other big needs we have is for parking. Uh, it's just we, we're parked everywhere and we don't have this. And so that was kind of our big issue of how can we start dealing with some of these things. Because we do multiple services right now, you know, the capacity in here is not a huge piece. Um, but you do start, the elders are getting a little concerned of how many services can we add. 
for it to be okay for me. They're really nice people, right? I keep telling them, I love to preach. It's not that big of a thing. So anyway, we brought them in. And uh, they, they begin to look at some things. So number one, probably the first thing that hits you on that is all the parking, right? The, the, the parking. So what they came in, and, f- and so for me, you, you, need a, you need to have synergism between educational space, auditorium space, and parking. So what we told them, we need at least 100 more parking spots just to handle what we have now. And if we're going to grow, we're probably going to need another 150 more, something like that. We have about 275, 280 parking spots now. They actually believe we can get to uh, about 515, about 520, something like that. Almost double the number of parking spots. Then you'll notice just, you see the kind of the existing building just to the left is an addition. So it would be out this side. I'm pointing to my right side on the educational side. A bump out, both downstairs and upstairs, would be about just under 9,000 square feet for educational space. So for children preschool, all of that down here. Upstairs, primarily our youth because we are slammed in there. In fact, today's their first day back and you got to see, I mean, what they're having to do in the mask and whatever to try to provide for all of it. It's just, and it's about two and a half times bigger. It would also relocate the children's playground, which would be a huge thing because now they kind of got to walk beside out onto the little walkway road to get to it. This would put it where it's really big and accessible. So that would, oh, also in, and this is kind of a phase one piece, uh, they would tackle the bathrooms once they did that so that my wife is happy and all the ladies said amen, right? Uh, phase two then would be a future auditorium. So now let me be really clear. When we talk about future auditorium, what we're talking about is another multi-purpose space, right? This is a multi-purpose space. We use this every single day of the week almost, typically except Fridays. I mean, something's in here. That's what we want to do. So it would be the same space. Here would be the huge difference. This one would actually be built for worship, not for playing basketball, all right? Now, you say, well, Steve, what does that do? Number one, number one, it helps with the sound, right? I, I so appreciate our tech folk. They've done so much. We've invested lots of money uh, to, to make the sound in here. But yesterday during the prayer meeting, I was kind of walking around, and it was interesting. Just walking, you can hear. This has got parallel walls, and it just, it, it just is a mess uh, audibly. So it would allow us to do that. It would allow us to make something that actually looks a little bit more pretty. Looks like a worship space. Might even be some young people who want to get married there. Wouldn't that be odd, all right? Because, you know, it's kind of funny. Nobody really wants to get married in their gym. And, uh, uh, but a couple of the, uh, so that, that would be number two. Let me see if I, yeah, I, I threw this up. It, it wouldn't be a whole lot bigger, probably about 200 220, a little bit bigger capacity, which right now, if you think about the social distancing, would be nice. Here's a couple of things, though, that I love on it. Uh, for those of you who are online, it would be at the bottom. There would be a serving kitchen just off of it, uh, which would be huge for, like, ladies' Bible study on Tuesdays. But here's the thing I like the best, a conference room so that when people have been talked to by the Holy Spirit and they need to be prayed with and counseled with, it would be right there. We have a sign that says prayer. 
You know why? Because we have no other spot. You know what it's like to stand over there and try to pray with people in the midst of people leaving after service, coming in after service. Sometimes the music is playing. It's tough. But the reason we do that is there is no other space. This would allow that to happen. And, of course, you see a big foyer area. Uh, A phase three of this would come back then and take about 25% of this gym, so on this side, so that we could add classroom space below and above. Uh, You'll also notice, here's the first picture. Uh, See the size of the bathroom, ladies? Uh, there's what, add all of that and the guy's side. It would also allow us to go into our existing kitchen. Have you ever been into our kitchen? You have to go in one at a time, right? And then you have to be careful when you turn around so that you don't knock things over. We'd actually take that, there's a pantry right here, and then take the cafeteria. We'd make it all into a prep kitchen that would actually allow us to, to be able to prepare food. Another really cool thing that we have, because we have kids downstairs, we have kids upstairs, we have adults here, there. This would allow us to have, you'll notice, you start looking around, and these, you know, where it says nursery, that's not, you know, we'll see where exactly they go. But the whole idea is, is that all of our children from nursery through fifth grade will be on the bottom floor. So one check-in station. We can also add doors so the security, so that, uh, which is getting, you know, to be more and more of a, a thing, and then of course, right out here on this left side is where the, the playground would be. Upstairs, it would look like this. Again, we now have multiplied adult classroom space, a huge youth space. We've also allowed us one of the things that we're seeing right now is so much of this is going digital to have a, a instead of ha- us having to put together a makeshift studio to actually have one for all of our online content and uh, classrooms galore for, for different ones that want to meet, of course, extended bathrooms upstairs. So here's the thing. Oh, let me give you just, don't they make this all look really pretty, right? You know, they're, they're really good at that. Uh, so I don't want to spend a boatload of time on this. Outside at the pavilion, we've got a TV out there. If you want to see more details, and it's got more pictures, and have time. Here's what I'm asking. What I'm asking today is that as a church, would everyone who considers them, themselves a part of Desert Springs, is would you commit yourself for the next 30 plus days until the election to take one meal a week, And set it aside and fast and pray. And as you pray, there are three things. Number one, we need God's wisdom. You know, we were about ready to roll this out as as COVID hit, right? And then we've been scratching our heads going, man, you know, what's going to do this fall? What's going to happen with the election? I mean, there's always uncertainty. And yet as we prayed, we kept thinking, well, when we look at reaching our community and training up new generations and getting a a wider foundation so we do, none of that's changed. And so we're just seeking God's wisdom and obviously uh, his provision, right? Uh, Because the heart of the elder team is, is that we would not borrow a dollar to build this. That if God's in this, he would provide for it. Uh, it, It's a big number. I mean, total peace, you know, before we get into all the weeds and it may come down a little bit or it may go up, who knows. Uh, But, you know, we're talking about like eight, eight and a half million dollars 
the, the bump outs three, the auditoriums five to come back in here is another half million. I mean, there's just, it's a lot of money. And so would you take one meal a week, fast and pray? For me, I, I've been doing this for, for probably about a month now because we've been asking our elders and our staff and some others, ministry leaders, to do this. For me, it's been Thursday morning breakfast. And pray that God would give us wisdom to know what to do. Secondly, would you pray for our country in its election? Obviously, this is a huge piece. And then number three, would you pray for the launch of Salt Church? We're sending 100, I hope 150 by the time we get there, people out to plant this church in Waddell. And we need God to go before it. I will tell you the really good news. They're going to start having some, I don't want to say practice services, but like preview services to kind of figure out how everything works in October. The school system actually signed off. They can start doing that. So they're going to they're gonna start, uh, I think, their first one sometime late here in October. So would you take one meal a week to fast and to pray for these three things, okay? Now, let's get back to Philemon. Here we go. Philemon chapter 1, verse 8. Therefore, though I have enough confidence in Christ to order you to do what is proper, yet for love's sake I would rather appeal to you, since I am such a person as Paul the aged, and now also a prisoner of the Lord. One of the really interesting things when you look at this and you read this, and quite honestly, the way the this little letter is, is directed. The first seven verses were all introductory. Verse 8 begins now the formal reason for the letter. And what Paul says is, though I have enough confidence in Christ to order you to do what is proper. Now think about that for a moment. What did Paul mean by that? That I could order you. I mean, I was sitting there in my office going, man, you know, so, so in spiritual authority as a pastor, can you just tell people what to do? I mean, I've never tried that one out, but maybe, that, maybe I've been missing something, right? What, did, what does Paul say that I, I have good confidence that I could have done that? Well, obviously, their culture is quite different than ours. Our, our culture here in America, man, we are... We are about independence. We are about freedom, the, 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 the land of the free, right? The home of the brave. That's who we are. We fought for our independence. We don't like nobody telling us what to do. And if you don't believe that, go just check out social media real quick, you know, when you get home. We don't like that. But they came from a completely different culture, a culture where there was a lot of authority. I mean, you see it in the slaves' masters. You see it in how uh, men dominated women. You see it in the Romans that dominated most of, of the known world. I mean, it was a huge piece. And so, but there was this idea that God put spiritual authority. In fact, the writer of the book of Hebrews uh, mentions this. This is a verse we don't you know, mention often, and I'm not going to make a big to-do, but his point was this, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. He's talking about within the church, that there is spiritual authority. 
And my sense is, is that when Paul leans into this, and the fact that he's the one that led Philemon to the Lord, he's the one that he discipled Philemon, there's this sense of spiritual authority that he's referencing. The other interesting thing that I, to me, kind of caught is the implied, at least in my mind as I've studied it, the implied idea in verse 8 is he's pretty confident Philemon would have followed through. Philemon, because of his relationship with Paul, because Paul led him to the Lord, because Paul's an apostle of Jesus Christ, right? Saw him with his own eyes. That Paul is pretty confident that Philemon would have obeyed. Now, is that everybody? Well, no. Remember back in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, Paul is talking about a man there who's gotten involved in all this immorality, right? And Paul says, I'm not there in person, but I am there in spirit, and so I'm going to judge this is what you are to do. Remember that? 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And he lays out, here's how you administer discipline so that this man will repent. What's interesting in 2 Corinthians, Paul, writing back about that experience, says this. For to this end I also wrote so that I might put you to the test whether you are obedient in all things. See, Paul wasn't sure about the Corinthians walking in obedience, but he has confidence that Philemon would. And then all of a sudden in verse 9, you get the yet, but... But I'm not going to do that. It is for love's sake. I'm not going to command you to do this, Philemon, but I'm going to appeal to you. I am going to appeal to you for love's sake. For love's sake, I'd rather appeal to you. This idea that uh, obedience, when it is demanded, first of all, is very seldom transformational. Because we're commanded to do it. I mean, think of those who live under the law as opposed to those that live under grace, right? Uh, you know, so often obedience demanded creates a, an, an obedience that is, that is hollow, that is just going through the motion. I couldn't help but think of the, the little boy, you know, he's in first grade, little Jimmy. Who, who probably like most of us little boys, uh, you know, just had a lot of energy. And so he would get up from his desk and he'd go look out the window and the teacher would say, Jimmy, go sit down. But on the way back to his, his desk, he's, you know, there's all those maps on the wall. And he's got fascinating, Jimmy, go sit down. But on the way moving there, you know, there's the, the aquarium in there. He's starting to watch the fish. And finally the teacher says, Jimmy, that's enough. Sit down. And little Jimmy went and put himself in his seat. And he says, I may be sitting on the outside, but I'm standing on the inside, right? That's what happens when obedience is demanded. And that's not transformational. You see, what Paul is saying here is, Philemon, I could command you to do this. I know you'd follow through. But you might grow resentful. You might grow hardened toward Onesimus as he comes back. So I'm not going to command you. But in the sake of love, I'm going to plead with you. 
You see, that's what becomes transformational. When you and I forgive, not because it is the law, but because it is a matter of grace that we have been forgiven. Acting out of love, showing love, treating people with love. That's what wins people's hearts. That's where the transformational process comes, comes through. I had to laugh. So Labor Day... Uh, the whole family got together out at my sister's house because she, she's the one with the pool. And she's got the, the kind of the rock waterfall into the pool. And then there's a little slide, you know, that the kids can go down. And it's so great. And, uh, of course, so we're there. The grandkids are there. And uh, our two-year-old granddaughter, uh, Jo, she's, she's a little bit of a daredevil. She, she doesn't have a lot of fear. And so we're trying to say, hey, do you want to go down the slide? And she's going, no, I don't want to go down the slide. Well, we know she would like it, right? And it was kind of interesting as the day went on. She could just see she was eyeing it more and more. Her sister, who, by the way, at one point I think we forced to go down the slide, just kind of grabbed her, will now never go down the slide, right? Uh, she likes to play up on top, but she's never going to go down that slide again, at least not for a couple more years. But little Joe, as the day went on, started making her way higher and higher to the top and playing up there. And Joe, you want to go down the slide? My sense is if I would have gone up or her dad, I'll put this on him, if he had gone up there and just grabbed her and gone down the slide, she would have come up under the water, her eyes about this big, and she would not have been happy. And this experience, which we knew that she would have loved, would have been ruined like it was for her sister. So sure enough, by the end of the day, she's up there. Joe, you want to come down? She gets on that slide. She comes down. She goes under the water. She pops up. Her eyes are this big. And she is smiling ear to ear. And she swims over, and she goes up, and she goes, and, and then the rest of the night, man, she just couldn't keep her off the slide. Well, that's the difference. You know, my dad used to always say you get so much farther with honey than you do with vinegar. Now, that doesn't mean that sometimes as a boss and sometimes as a parent, you don't need to, to be more direct and specific, or as my dad would put it, pull somebody's chain. But the reality is that... Big time, big picture, you risk turning their heart. You win the battle, but you lose the war. The war is won when, when we appeal to people in love so that they voluntarily sometimes choose to do what they don't want to do. But in that grace, they find something far greater. In fact, you think about it, isn't that exactly what Jesus has done towards us? I, I know that theologically, it's probably not exactly what John was talking about there in, in Revelation chapter 3, but I love the picture. As Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. He doesn't force his way in. If anyone will hear my voice and open the door, it's, it's not a demand. It is an appeal with love. You think of the, the story of the... Uh, the prodigal son. You know, the dad could have just simply said no when the son comes and asks for his inheritance, right? I'm not dead yet. You can't get your inheritance. No. He didn't do that. He also didn't go after him. 
But when the son turned to go home, found him there with open arms. The appeal of love. And folk, if you've not come to Jesus, and you, maybe you're just waiting for the fact that he's going to grab you and force you, he doesn't do that. That's not how he operates. It's that still small voice. He, he appeals to us in love. I love you. I died for you. I will change your life. The invitation is there. But I wanted to finish today with this because I have a concern. And again, this is a very personal concern and an appeal to us as a church out of love. As I'm looking at what's going on, not only across our nation, but I'm talking to people in our church and I'm hearing what's happening in their homes and their marriage relationships even within the church body. What I'm beginning to sense is this COVID thing, along with all of the unrest and the uh, injustice issues that are out there, uh, it has the potential of creating great harm for the body of Christ. I was visiting with a pastor down in uh, Nogales this week. He's finishing up 40 years of ministry in Nogales. And, uh, man, just a fixture in the community. But he was telling me the story. His sister goes to a really large, like, multi-thousand congregate church back east. And he said that they have actually split into two different churches over the issue of mask. Do we wear masks? Do we not wear masks? Can you imagine what it would be like someday to stand before Jesus? Give an account for that? But it can happen. I'm seeing it in homes. I'm seeing it where husbands and wives don't see this the same way. I'm seeing it between parents and kids. I'm seeing it between uh, grandparents and the parents of their grandkids. Uh, This has the potential of being horrendously conflicting and then within the body of Christ. So my request, my appeal and love today is that we would focus on this idea of how can I show love and respect to people I don't agree with on this stuff? Because I got to tell you what, you know what I'm hearing? I'm hearing the complaints, and it's, and it's that if these people really loved me, this is how they would act. And I'm going, no, 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 no. That can't be the focus because that's all centered on me. That's centered on you. That's selfishness. That's what causes division. What we've got to focus on is how can I do this well? And we're we're not going to agree. Let's just be honest. The spectrum is way too big here. I mean, I'm fighting that as how do we do this, you know, with this huge? We're trying to be all things to all people. And I'm just going to be honest with you. The spectrum's too big. We can't. We don't have the bandwidth. We don't have the scope, right? (laughs) So how, how? Do we show love and respect to those we don't agree with within the body of Christ? So we've been, we've been wrestling with this as a staff. And uh, so I want to I share a couple things with you. Number one, starting next weekend, 
next weekend. Now, one of the things that you know is we've come back, we've tried really hard. Hey, here are the policies that our state and our city have put upon us. Please respect them. You know, the whole, you know, if you can wear a mask in, you can wear a mask out, great, but you don't have to wear them here, right? There's some. And here's the other thing. I'm beginning to sense that those of us who have been out doing life for a few months are at a different comfort level than those who maybe haven't and are now trying to get out. So here's one thing that we're going to do. Next weekend on Saturday night at 6.30, we are going to start another service. And where we don't police it in the others, that is going to be a mask-only service. So if you're, you're at home or maybe you're here and you're looking around, and man, there's hardly anybody wearing masks here. Okay, great. You want to be in a place where we're going to wear masks the whole time, 6.30, Saturday night, come and worship with us. And, and we want to provide that with you. Uh, secondly, I would remind the rest of us that, you know, hopefully, you know, some of these mandates and, and um, issues are going to be resolved here quickly as, as numbers continue to go down. Uh, but we have asked and continue to ask if you can and are willing that you coming in and going out, you know, would put that on. But here's the thing. Some of you just can't, and I get that. And honestly, some of you won't, and, and, and I, I get that part too. So how are we going to do this showing love and respect to others? Well, I would love to ask you if, you, if you're one of the ones that can't or won't, that you come early, but I've tried that for 25 years, and that doesn't work. Uh, but here's the one thing I would ask. Would you mind kind of hanging out in the auditorium once we're dismissed so that others can, can leave because it's just trying to keep. So, you know, because obviously you're going to love on people and hug them. Well, just stay and do that in here. Let the others get out first, right? That's just one of those ways that we can show love and respect and try to do this well. Folk, I think we have an tremendous opportunity to bear testimony to the grace and the love that is in Jesus if we will do this well. And not be concerned about how others should be loving me, but be focused on how can I love others.